Hello, and welcome to What About Us, a podcast that discusses how culture, history, and policies affect rural Tennesseans. My name is Sandy Rice, and we, the podcast and I, are part of the Tennessee Holler Podcast Network. Go to tnholler.com to check out the other programs, live and recorded, sign up for the newsletter, and make a donation. Tennessee Holler is people-powered, and we're devoted to hollering the truth across Tennessee. My guest today is Carol Abney, a certified public accountant from Salina in Clay County, Tennessee. Okay, this, there's a group of counties along the Kentucky-Tennessee uh, border, um, straight up from Chattanooga, um, that are distressed uh, or at risk for being distressed. Now, we talked about this a couple of weeks with Emily Parton, but that is the bottom 10% economically in the country. These counties are also part of the miserable Tennessee healthcare crisis of rural hospital closures that continues to be totally ignored by the Tennessee state legislature and our governor. And Carol has um, experience with the hospital closing uh, in her county as well. She's going to talk about that. Um, we've got a whole list of things, Carol. Hi, welcome. Thank you for coming. Thank you for having me. I know you're a busy lady. Um, <laughs> let's talk about COVID. No, 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 not vaccines and masks. I'm not going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the American Rescue Plan and some of the things that it's trying to do to help help us out. You know, not everybody got through the pandemic um, like Amazon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's been a tough couple of years, especially in the distressed counties. You know, we lost our hospital in 2019. And to for something like this to happen and us not to have a hospital has just been, yeah, it's, it's scary. I mean, it's terrifying, you know. Yeah. It was so. bad before, and now uh, that made it even worse. So sure. um, let's talk about uh, PPP. That stands for Paycheck Protection Plan. I'm, not sure. I'm very familiar. <laughs> I'm not sure how. More familiar than I should be. Okay, well, I, I'm not familiar with it because I'm retired. So probably a lot of people in the audience are, but why don't you go ahead and start from the beginning on that, what it was, uh, what it is, and how does it work? How did it work? So in 2019, I believe it was in May or June that I realized this was happening. And I'm not sure when they started the program, but they came out with the Paycheck Protection Program. And what that did was that helped people. So the formula was the money that you spent on payroll Mm -hmm. Average monthly and then paycheck protection gave you two and a half months of your total for the year. So you could take the money and what they wanted is they wanted money that you normally spent on. So they were trying to replace the funds that was lost because of COVID. And, and, keep, your, and, and keep your staff. Yes, yes. So it was so amazing because, as you know, a lot of corporations get things like this all the time in this country. You know, they qualify when you when you've got a lot of programs that we've applied for. They say, no, you don't have 50 employees or no, you don't have 500 employees. And so for people in rural Tennessee to be included in this paycheck protection program was amazing for a lot of people here. I know that I had several clients that got anywhere between $50,000, $100,000. I know one person got $960,000 for their payroll in Clay County, a distressed county. So, you know, bringing that kind of money into 
a county that's 27% in poverty. I, I just, I can't, I can't express how fortunate we were to be part of those people that received the funds. And they came back. So we did the, the first round of paycheck protection. And of course, the CP, they wanted CPAs to help people. And, and I worked tirelessly. I did anywhere from some people got $500. Like I said, some people got up close to a million dollars. So, and I tried to make sure that I gave attention to everybody because if, if $500 was available for that business, then they deserved to get that money. So um, there was a lot of hours put in, but they came back and they changed the requirements toward, I think it was in January of 2020, they changed the requirements and opened it up for Schedule C sole proprietor businesses. So then there was a whole nother wave of paycheck protection loans. So not only did the people that paid wages to employees get it, then people started getting their own wages. Like if you were a sole proprietor and you averaged this much money the year before, then they were giving you what you would normally pay yourself. So we ended up getting well over a million dollars in Clay County from that money. Well, it was used to pay staff, but they also opened it up to single businesses. Okay. So I even got some paycheck protection money. Like toward the end, they opened it up to sole proprietorships, which was like single owned businesses. Okay. So you used it to pay staff and to pay yourself if you ran a, a business by yourself. Okay, so, but you could, yeah, think, it, it was, you could keep things going in your business, yes, whether yes, you were single yes. or, or a group. Okay. Yes. And, and, yeah. And, you know, how did, how did that work out? Um, did, did businesses survive or? Actually, because we are so accustomed to working anyway, no matter what happens, because we're in survival mode 24-7 in rural Tennessee in a distressed county, um, it actually helped a lot of people here in my county. Okay. You know, there were a few businesses that hurt at the time they, during like, I think it was May of 2020, this is 2021, so during like May when was that that everything shut down completely? Oh, so toward like the March, end, March. Yeah, yeah. From like March to May was like the worst part. I think we laid off our people at my husband's business for three weeks, and then they decided to come back to work. Okay. So I think what everybody was doing here was giving people the option and just trying to be careful. Of course, we wore masks. There's a lot of people that don't here, so it was a little scary there for a day or two. But it ended up helping a lot of people survive a tough time, and. The, the weird part of it was, of course, we live beside a pristine lake, Del Hall Lake. It's a beautiful lake. And since people were off work from COVID, they spent all their time on our lake. So some of our... So a lot of people kind of enjoyed the extra time to relax. Extra time off. Yes. Yeah. We, have, yeah. we have six marinas in Clay County and they were all extremely busy during that time. So, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Well, good. Um, I had heard some criticism kind of nationwide about it that eventually uh, like really big businesses that probably had some savings or, uh, you know, a rainy day fund. I hate to kind of use that expression. That's another one that's been ruined. Uh, got more than other businesses it kind of went walking there at the end or. So you I think that? what happened, well, what happened was um, the people that did everything by the book. So you have a lot of cash businesses out in rural areas. And so a lot of those people didn't qualify. And okay. some of them were a little bitter. But being an accountant and a CPA, like I, I make sure that all of my clients follow the okay. rules. 
And so I feel like the people that the the criticisms came from a lot of people that didn't get as much as some of the other people did. And I mean, I understand that. But at the same time, you know, there's a reason we follow rules and, and it really benefited okay. a lot of people okay. in the end. So did you have anybody that didn't want that money that turned it down? Didn't? Yes, ma'am. I had several people that said, no, there's no way they're giving that money. I, I begged a couple of people. It would have tremendously helped them. Um, one person had to close their business for a while. And, and I told them, I said, you know, this will get forgiven. You won't have to pay it back. Oh, no, there's no way they're giving away that kind of money. I'm not taking it. I'm not taking it. It's a trap. So, you know, I can't blame people, especially in Appalachia. If you know the history, you know, coal mine companies came in here and they would hire people and then they would pay them with vouchers that they had to spend at their coal mine store right, and right. things like that. So I, I, the, the distrust of big corporations, there's a reason for that. And, and so, government. Yes, yes, and government. And I just, I just try to explain to people, but now I can't blame some people for not trusting the government. I mean, we've lost all of our hospitals in Tennessee, so, yeah, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's, um, how about the child tax credit? That's also part of the American rescue plan. Um, I'm, I'm really interested to hear what, uh, what people have told you about that because that's a giveaway program. I mean, all, Mm -hmm. all these have uh, that in common. We talk about. Oh, the child tax credit on a normal year before they gave extra to the child tax credit, the child tax credit is a refundable credit. So if you work very little or if you work and don't pay in very much taxes, then the child tax credit, if you've got like two or three kids, then you get quite a substantial amount of money. You can get up to $2,000 for each kid, you know? And so people, a lot of people use that money to survive here because they don't have any resources. They don't have good jobs. And a lot of single mothers, you know, struggle to survive and stuff. And I know some of them will use the money to buy a new car or to buy new tires or whatever. So it's kind of a, there is some bitterness because of that child tax credit. So it was already controversial before they ever increased it. Okay. 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 So because there's people that complain, because if you if you don't have kids, then you're not getting the child, the, re- the big refund. And, you know, if somebody's got three kids, they could potentially get a six thousand dollar refund and not work if they filed their taxes. Mm-hmm. So I understand that it upsets some people that work hard. But when they increased it, the, so they increased the child tax credit for six and under, it went to thirty six hundred. Mm-hmm. And then for over, I think it for for that's not right so for under six it went to 3600 and then six to 17 years old it went to 3000 instead of 2000 right so they expanded it to include 17 year olds this time and and it helps people but there's this wave of propaganda that came out immediately and people were complaining oh i'm not taking that i'm not taking that i'm like why would you not take the money you know well, they're just taking away my tax money and I want to get that money at the end of the year. And so I've spent a lot of time trying to explain to people, this is more money. You're not going to lose what you normally get at the end of the year. You know, you can get online, you can opt out of it, but I'll be honest with you. There, there's just this, this GOP propaganda machine is, it's hard to 
combat that in these small towns in these rural areas so you know i just i I just try to talk to people and help them understand is what i spend most of my time doing well it wasn't income is my understanding so you can't pay taxes on it you know either and i don't know um i thought kids cost a lot of money they do they do they do cost a lot of money and there's a lot of people that's grateful to have that money i've I've talked to several people that have it you know, there's always the the criticisms with getting money. And I, I think the only thing that, so, so they've tried to, to make it sound like it's not anything extra. You're just getting it earlier because it says advanced child tax credit on it. Mm-hmm. But that's not true. There is more with it and it is expanded to other ages. So, right. yeah, you just, uh, I just keep trying to talk to people. Yeah. And it's, it's, for, uh, it's for one year, but the Biden administration would like to extend it for four years. It's um, supposed to lift children out of poverty. We, we have a lot of poverty, child poverty in the United States in urban areas and uh, rural areas. And um, so I think the child poverty in Tennessee, isn't it like 33%? Yeah, sounds about right. Yeah. yeah. And half the children are on um, Medicaid. So we have a lot of people that yeah. you know, are struggling. We have a lot of people that, that aren't. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. <laughs> That could have actually been an Appalachia number, 33%. I think Appalachia is 25.4 million people. So 30% of 33% of those kids live in poverty. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when I do these podcasts, I just, I look at, look into stuff and, you know, all day. (laughs) Yeah. Just also um, interesting to follow. Um, There's so much. Do do you want to talk about, regressive taxes since we're kind of on poverty or do you want to talk about medicaid and health care oh, let's go with regressive taxes first and okay. then we'll we'll go to medicaid after that when talking about the regressive taxes um i can't remember the exact number of the money they faced out the hall tax this year so the hall tax is a tax on dividends over 2500 for uh mary filing joint and you had to file a Tennessee state tax return if you had over that amount in dividends. And so they phased out the hall tax and then they raised the gas tax to make up the difference for the hall tax that they phased out, which disproportionately hurts poor people because it's a regressive tax, it's a flat tax. So, you know, I think it was, I can't remember the amount it was per gallon but I do remember them talking about, you know, a flat tax across the board. What was it? Was it like 12 cents? Oh, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I can't remember. But, you know, when you're talking 12 cents a gallon for somebody that lives on less than $12,000 a year, it's mm-hmm. a lot different than somebody that is drawing, you know, 40000 a year in retirement. Right. And so I feel like the class gap in, rural areas is just widening because we have so many people that move here we have a lot of people from northern places that move here that retired from like ford chrysler you know gm all the car companies and they come here because it's beautiful and we have the lake and stuff and they live very well and so they're very disconnected from the people that are already here the, the people that are here don't, uh, they just don't have the access to the funds that people that retire here do. 
Mm-hmm. So, you know, the regressive taxes, it, it, you just, it's too large a hill to climb for local people to try to find a job. I mean, we, we don't have factories that offer, reti- we don't have factories, you know, <laughs> more or less factories that offer retirement. So our population has declined. I'm actually uh, answering some questions for a girl that's doing a study on the declining population in the upper Cumberland. And it's just, it, people keep leaving. Like mm-hmm. we're having trouble keeping them here. You know, some of the other regressive taxes, they just passed a wheel tax in my county. It costs over a hundred dollars to go get tags for your car in my county now. That wheel. Yeah. Yeah. And and for people that don't have money here, that's a lot of money. But for the people that come here with the plush retirement and stuff, you know, it 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 seems high, but it's not too much for them to pay. Right. But I know people that's not getting tags on their car and then they get stopped by the police and then they owe them money because they get a ticket for it. And it's just it's just a downward spiral, mm-hmm. you know, for mm-hmm. people that don't have resources. Right. Um, they're mm-hmm. fixing to raise our city water tax. They're fixing to raise our water because it's not been raised in several years. And they keep saying, well, the state's going to come in and raise it. But, you know, we're already at the max. We're paying the sales tax of 9.75%. We, like, we're not allowed to raise that anymore. Mm-hmm. So we're getting hit so hard on taxes in these distressed counties that people just cannot climb out of the hole. Mm-hmm. And it, it's sad, you know. So regressive tax is anything that affects the, the poor. Mm-hmm. Middle and low incomes than the the um, right right it's like, like I was pool. talking about yeah yeah like the like the flat tax on the gas you know okay. it it hurts poor people more than it does people that have better incomes so and when you're talking about a progressive tax like the federal income tax or like um, Kentucky has a state income tax or uh, I'm trying to think of progressive taxes. You know, there's not a lot of them around here, to be honest. Like Tennessee's known nationwide for their regressive taxes. And it's just, it's a sad state. You know, we just passed the largest budget in Tennessee's history. I think it was $42 billion or something. Mm-hmm. And that is so much money. Oh, my goodness. That is so much money. And they sit in Nashville and brag about how well they're doing and how much money we have in the rainy day fund. And, and we're sitting out here like I said, 27% in poverty, you know, and it's just, it's crazy. So the, um, so the income tax, which is progressive, meaning that the, um, the wealthy with greater income pay more tax. Correct. Um, And it kind of balances things out a little bit. And especially, Mm -hmm. I mean, the closest thing we had to that was the hall tax. Well, yeah. um, And that was the saddest thing about the hall tax. You know, they did away with a progressive tax to put a regressive tax on gas. Right, and it's right, just right. terrible. Well, um, Wallet Hub, which I know isn't a very well thought of research, but I think it's moving up there, says that Tennessee's the fourth best place for high earners because they only spend about 5% of their income on taxes. Wow. The low yeah. earners, the low earners pay twice that. 10% and middle income, 8%. So there's that's regressive tax. The Institute on Taxation and Economic Policy says that Tennessee has one of the worst tax structures in the United States, I believe. Yeah. Um, let's talk about rich people in general. 
the 400 wealthiest Americans have the lowest tax rate of all income levels in history ever before. Um, and it's 23% is what my data said. In 1950, um, the rich paid 70%. 1980, 50%. Um, wow. So, you know, it, um, previous administration, I think there was a real sense of, oh, the good old days, you know, the 1950s and every, and was conservative. I mean, it wasn't the good old days for black people or people of color, or, right. <laughs> you know, people had immigrated here, but for a lot of post-war, I was born in the fifties. I'm a boomer. Everything was was booming um um but yeah well 70 percent tax rate for the rich things were evened out you know mm -hmm. a little bit. i've yeah. heard people say well you know if you work hard and make a lot of money you know you should you should have the 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 betterments of of life and um that surprised me because i thought you know a lot of rich people were born that way <laughs> it's Mm -hmm. It's not that they necessarily worked hard. In fact, I think that there's some, um, you know, some people out there that really haven't worked at all. They've been bad. <laughs> they just got money from, from parents. So that doesn't hold out. And people that um, have lower incomes work hard. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, so this, this trend that I have seen lately, and it, it annoys me so much is the wanting, and especially when talking about Appalachia, so there's been some books, I'm not going to talk about the book, because <laughs> I don't, but, you know, this, this narrative that, you know, blaming the poor people for being poor is, isn't, that does not work for me, because my family, you know, my little grandma raised me and my brother and seven other kids, and she's one of the hardest working women that I know, mm -hmm. and uh, we worked hard. We never had much money. You know, we, we had a big garden and stuff and it's just not true. Like it's, it's not true that if you work hard, you're going to make a lot of money that, that, that those two things do not correlate with each other. And you can't blame people for being upset when, you know, the government and big corporations have stripped your tax money and your land resources for a hundred years and then you turn around and say oh well it's their fault they're not working hard enough like yes that, that's yes. Just, it's not true yeah. you know well, I mean, and especially the last 20 years they've pumped Appalachia full of opioids and huh? <laughs> you know that combined with the other hundred years and it's just it's too big a hill to climb for the average person you know are, are people mad are people in your community mad? Do they, do they realize that this is happening in our state? Um, a lot of them are mad. A lot of them get manipulated politically pretty easy because they just don't have the capacity or the, you know, if, if you're working in a sawmill eight or 10 hours a day, you're not going to come home and study taxes or, or why the government's doing what they're doing or why that coal company in East Tennessee is rich and everybody else around them is poor and have no roads. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's a concept that the average person here, they don't have time to worry about that. And so I try to make sure that I let people know what's happening and why it's happening. But you know, that's a pretty deep 
to talk about stripping land resources and tax money for a hundred years, a hundred years is a pretty long time. So, well, you get the, it's the generational, you know, we talked about yeah. that in, in these distressed counties, like the ones that we are familiar with is um, it's de decades, it's decades. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's kind of the same narrative and the same situation. And um, there's a sense of belonging and family and you don't rock the boat sometimes. You know. Right. So there's this girl, Barbie Ann Maynard. Have you heard of her? Mm -hmm. She has a video out in Eastern Kentucky. I can't remember what county she's in, but her county is out of clean water. So the sludge from the coal has gotten into their water system and she buys bottled water. And I think part of the American Rescue Plan was to focus on clean water for people here in this country. And, you know, that, that sounds unreal but yeah, it's happening it like we're yeah. running out of water so this would make a good segue into we're running out of water and we don't have a hospital <laughs> you know <laughs> let's talk about your hospital do you, want, do you want me to give some background on medicaid expansion and the sure yeah thing? okay yeah. okay so we so I think we all know that Tennessee has repeatedly not only rejected, uh, but refused to debate, discuss, consider, understand, investigate, or anything else Medicaid expansion under the Affordable uh, Care Act. And this goes back, and I even saw a comment on the Tennessean um, to an article uh, that somebody mentioning again, 2003-2004, when then Governor Bredesen had to cut Medicaid uh, expenses and therefore patients due to a giant budget shortfall. I think the uh, governor before him had hoped to have an income tax to kind of bail it out, um, but that didn't go through. Um, but anyway, um, it was kind of a disaster and people don't don't forget that. So that's 2003, 2004. Well, things are different. The ACAA was, uh, uh, Affordable Care Act was enacted in 2010 and included Medicaid expansion in all the states to cover patients who were in the gap between traditional Medicaid. Now remember, I always remind everyone that Medicaid isn't just because you're poor, you have to have children or be pregnant um, and some disabilities and illness and things like that to qualify. So just because you're poor um, doesn't mean you have welfare. It's also not synonymous with welfare. It is just for healthcare. Um, but then there was this other layer of premiums that the um, ACA would provide. Um, the Supreme Court eliminated the requirement in 2012 for the states to expand Medicaid um, that the uh, federal law couldn't dictate that to states. Um, and so a lot of, um, because of the, the funding that was offered to states, a lot of them jumped on it um, in order to um, develop a safety net for the, for the uninsured. To date, 12 states have not adopted the expansion, even rejecting in Tennessee, Governor Haslam's Insure Tennessee plan in 2015. It didn't even come out of the, the Senate Health um, Committee. Meanwhile, I'm borrowing this from Colbert, meanwhile, <laughs> hospitals have closed and we're the state with the most hospital closures per capita in the country and in medical bankruptcies while leaving 300,000 working people for the most part uh, without um, health uh, coverage. 
Well, just a little aside here, um, Governor Lee in 2018, who was very much opposed to expansion, uh, came up with a better plan, the block grant. Basically, this was accepting a chunk of money like you would for a road construction project to not only do whatever Tennessee wanted to do to provide health care to eligible recipients, but to save as much as possible. Now, t- Tennessee already has, I think, the top or the least amount of money that's spent per Medicaid recipient. They really, really cut it, um, cut it close uh, with the use of case managers and contracts. Um, so Tennessee hatched this deal that used to have to give all of that saved money back to the government. They wanted to split it with the federal government and then use it for whatever they wanted, maybe health care, uh, but maybe other parts uh, of the state budget. Um, now Medicaid had some, has some pretty strict rules and oversight, but Tennessee wanted to do away with those in order to cut corners and save money. Okay, the scheme, it was a scheme, uh, was rejected by everyone in the healthcare industry and patients twice in public comment periods. Tennessee didn't care, government didn't care, sent it to Washington where it was approved in the waning days of the Trump administration. Well, guess what? President Biden doesn't think so much of this and <laughs> sent it back. So that's in public comment again, if you wanna Google Tennessee Justice Center, um, you can see how you can make a, a comment if you're familiar with this. Um, the thing about the um, block grant was there was no commitment to cover additional people with additional benefits like dental care. Um, it would allow the state to deny access of some prescription drugs um, for serious and costly illnesses like cancer and hepatitis and no plan, no plan to help rural hospitals. Nope. Um, you know, leave it to Tennessee to incentivize cutting healthcare. Yeah. I mean. Yeah, what's up with that? <laughs> so, I mean, meanwhile, Congress was amazed that, the current Congress was amazed that that um, some states still will not take care of their people um, like Tennessee and the South and a little patch of the Midwest. So they've sweetened the deal um, as part of the American Rescue Plan uh, offering to cover 90% of the cost of new enrollees an additional 5% uh, for current enrollees for a period of two years. Now that was in March, uh, March I think 11th was when this big COVID relief bill uh, the American Rescue Plan, um, and a couple states were interested, but but not Tennessee. There's been no action. You know, I don't think it's it it, it can't be the money. It can't be the money um, because we have lots of money in Tennessee. We're not spending any of it on the the citizens. Um, we're just yeah holding it away. It's okay. So, Obamacare. From what I understand. <clears throat> A good friend of mine is a state representative. And what she says is the current administration in Tennessee, every bill that they pass, they make sure that there is a some avenue for creating a contract and paying their buddies some money. Uh-huh. And they've kept so much money, so much tax money, because we have so many regressive taxes. They have such a large budget that they that they don't need the federal tax money, and of course they all have insurance and they all have 
hospitals and and Williamson County. How many how many of our politicians come out of Williamson County, yeah. which mm-hmm. has the largest economy in the state of Tennessee? Mm-hmm. And I think the median income in Williamson County was like just like four or five times what it is in Clay County. Well, over there, one of the ten where we have the bottom, we have nine distressed counties. Williamson County is at the top in the country, in the country for wealth. Yeah. And, and they just don't need that. They're just going to starve out the Medicaid people because they're riding this wave of Obama passing the ACA. And that's the reason they won't expand. Like the politicians will literally look at you and say, oh yeah, we're not expanding Medicaid because of Obama, Obamacare. And it's just, especially out here in rural Tennessee, they still, if you mention Medicaid, they still say, you know, well, that's Obama. We're, you know, he calls our hospitals to close. It has nothing to do with Medicaid and you can give them numbers and they still won't listen to you. And I'm afraid that our, 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 um, our legislators here all the way to the, to the Senate congressmen, the state level do not listen. I think they listen to a, um, a group of constituents who are very loud mm-hmm. and just, you know, go with that. So tell us about some fat cats that visited you in Salina. Oh yeah. So this story <laughs> is very interesting. Um, I went to a workforce development meeting. So I try to be involved because I'm a CPA and, and a lot of CPAs leave rural Tennessee, but with the remote work and everything I stay here because it's beautiful and it's my home and I don't want to leave so I'm on a lot of committees well they sent all the chamber members I think is who they invited they sent all the chamber members this invitation and they said we're not going to have our workforce development normal meeting we're going to go and meet with some people from the state so I go to this meeting and there's a lot of great people in there but the first thing that I noticed when I went to this meeting we had it at the community center you walk in and there was probably you know, 50, 55 people there. I'll say 55 people. So that left like 15 business owners, a few elected officials, and the rest of them were employees from the state of Tennessee. Okay. The employees from Tennessee, like there were several department heads in there that were making at least $150,000 a year. Several other people, there was probably nobody in the room that was making less than say 45000 a year. You know, if they had interns, they might be getting paid less, but their interns probably make well. So we're sitting there and what they were talking to us about is recidivism rates, opioid addiction, people that go to jail for opioids. It is a huge problem here in in rural Tennessee and in a lot of places in Appalachia. You know, you've seen the documentaries and stuff in Virginia and Eastern, Eastern Kentucky and Tennessee and So they were talking to us about hiring people that had been in jail for drugs, with drug charges. And, you know, I'm all for that. I'm all for, you know, giving people a shot. But at the same time, I'm sitting looking around the room and I'm like, you know, these all these people have good jobs. And then I'm looking at us like 15 people that own our little businesses out here that that work 10 and 12 hours a day to make money and so I made a suggestion at the end of their presentation I said well you know if the state of Tennessee wants us to hire people because it's a risk when you're in rural Tennessee anything you do is a risk to your clientele because we just don't have that many people I mean we have 1100 people in my city we have 7500 people in my county if you've got a successful business you're working hard at it. 
-hmm. And I said, maybe the state of Tennessee could subsidize the salaries for people that have been incarcerated and that would help businesses have an incentive to hire them. Well, they were just appalled <laughs> that, I, that I suggested that the Spend money <laughs> create a program. And so while I'm sitting there getting a lashing, <laughs> they were very they were very kind about it, but you could tell they were just like, oh no, that's not gonna happen. And so while I'm sitting there, I'm looking around the room like I wonder how much money they're paying these people that are all sitting here. <laughs> because I mean, if you've never run a business in rural Tennessee, like we all are terrified. We don't do anything to change our business. We don't say anything to anybody. You know, getting in politics is taboo because you're scared you'll hurt yourself. And of course, I've been in that stuff and, and I've been brave about it. But now my husband, he didn't want me being in that because he's been in business here 35 years in a garage. And, you know, if we're talking about hiring someone that's been incarcerated, that then that's a risk to your business. And But anyway, they, they decided that that was not a solution. <laughs> So I just thought it was interesting at the the widened gap between the people sitting in there that were working and the people that came from the state out to talk to us. And then one of them, as they were walking out, one lady said, well, I'm just thankful that our governor, that you have a governor that listens to you. And I'm thinking he never listens to us, no, you know, he so. No, he never. No, listens. he don't listen. He he told us that telemedicine was going to make up for not having a hospital in a, in a rural meeting. You know, we have good people out here that work hard, and they they deserve. We deserve better than what we have in our our state leaders right now. And yeah. I mean, I, I can say that because I know some of them very well. And you know, this state house district alone has lost three hospitals. You know. So. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah, it's just crazy, but yeah, it's interesting. Well, what can we do? What we can do is work at the local level to try to help people do better. So I think it's so it's it's a double initiative. I think one of the things is to try to help people recover from the volatility of the last four or five years. Yes. You know, the political volatility has just burnt everyone so much in this area. Everybody needs some love. We we gotta learn how to be kind, you mm -hmm. know, talking about the anger from people the anger that they feel about the government and big corporations coming in here and, and stripping our land and our tax money and then us not seeing a return on that that's why everybody's angry here mm -hmm. so I've just been trying to like stay out of the 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 Biden Trump fight and just try to do things for people that that's what yep. we need to do we need to be kind and the other part of that is we need to make sure that people are registered to vote and educate mm -hmm. so what you're doing here is amazing so thank you for this I, I love your podcast and and I think that dissemination of information is one of the most important things that we can all do right now so yeah well um, one thing um I, I wanted to just um say because I've left it out um this um the gap has gotten so wide because of uh, um, uh, the former president and then President Reagan uh, back in the day is believing that giving the wealthy big tax cuts will stimulate the economy and it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't. That's okay. ridiculous. Been through yeah. it twice. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know if, if we'll learn, but I mean, that is uh, the president of Amazon, that's 
Bezos. Is that right? Yeah. Bezos, yeah. Um, you know, he's like gonna like pop up to the moon or Mars or you know whatever, and um, that's ridiculous. You know, for people mm-hmm. who have so much money, more money than they know what to do with. He really made that on. But the you back. know, wouldn't you like? So I I have imagined what. I don't play the lottery very much, but I've sit with my husband and imagined what we would do if we won the lottery. And, you know, he said that he would return every person's ticket that they spent money with him fixing their car, that he would pay them back. So that was a cool idea. But, you know, I couldn't help but think that I would at least build a hospital or, yeah. or feed feed all the hungry people and, and, or, you know, house all the homeless people or something <laughs> instead of going to the moon. Like, I can't help but feel like I would do something like that. Yeah. So. Well, me too. I, I want to have a clinic and, yeah. and hire yeah. people and uh, maybe a hot tub, but other than that, yeah. for me. <laughs> well, yeah, but that's just like, yeah, it's not flying to the moon, Sandy. <laughs> oh, I know. I know. I know. But so, so yeah, I'm I'm with you on the conclusion. After after studying all this, I was at a loss. Be kind to each other. That's, yeah. that's what. So I have been ever since the campaign ended. I ran two times for state house and never had a chance of winning. But I I worked extremely hard and it, I took it as an opportunity to let everybody know about our hospital closing and I, what I've learned out of all the volatility and the anger and talking to everybody is just to try to be kind. And, yeah. and, and, I, and I agree. That was, yeah. That was my other uh, point that we need to, um, you know, come together um, and help all of us, not anger and decisiveness, uh, you know, just try to do what, what you can to quell, you know, those emotions and actions. Um, and you, yeah, and you might find some good and you might think of a program or a, um, a park or, or something that you can do in the community that will help people. Just don't talk about, you know, politics. Just talk about, right. you know, anything else. There's still a lot out there. It's mm-hmm. still uh, America, and you don't have to be looking for trouble all the time. So it's important yeah. to belong to something. Belong to something good. And of course, listen yeah. to my podcast and my wonderful, <laughs> wonderful guests like Carol Abney from Salina. Oh, thank you. You're amazing at this, Sandy. You make it easy. <laughs> Thanks for coming today. Um, good luck with the projects that you're working on. I'll talk to you soon. I hope to see you someday. <laughs> yes, we will see each other someday. <laughs> Definitely. And listeners, this has been What About Us um, podcast uh, about how policies, history, and culture affect rural Tennesseans. It's the only one on the Tennessee Holler podcast network that talks about rural areas and I think about the only one that's doing at least one podcast a month so go to tennesseeholler.com and look around and drop some money there okay thanks for listening till next time bye carol bye